He is everlasting. He's alpha. He's omega. He's beginning. He's end. He has always been. Okay. There we go. Sorry about that. John chapter 1 and verse 1. And while you find that, let me tell you that in my house, we love Christmas. Like, I don't mean like we like Christmas a little bit. Sarah says that when we decorate our house, that uh, if it looks like Christmas threw up, that that's what it should look like. Like, that's the decorations. We, we want them to look awful and everywhere and kind of, you know, like some people want their tree to be perfect, but that's not us. We just let the kids put ornaments wherever and we just, we just want the house to be, don't look at me like that, that you with OCD, I see you. But uh, we, just, we just love all the Christmas decorations and movies and songs and everybody, or I say everybody, I should say some well-meaning Christians every year come to me and they let me know how wrong I am for loving Christmas and letting my kids celebrate Christmas. And somebody always lets me know, there's, it always comes out that Christmas is so commercialized. And I would agree with the statement, by the way. Christmas is very commercialized. When the day after we have Thanksgiving, then what do we do? We rush out and buy a bunch of stuff and we call it Black Friday. It's super commercialized. I, I wouldn't disagree with you about that. But I would tell you that the problem of Christmas being commercialized, that's, that's not the root. The root is bad doctrine. The commercialized side of Christmas is not because, that's not the start. That happened for a reason. That happened because we have bad doctrine about the advent of Christ. We have bad doctrine about, we don't think that we do, and I think that deep down we know the truth, but we let that bad doctrine permeate in our churches, and then it bleeds out into our lives. My mom, I love my mom, I don't always like her choice of music, and so we always listen. We, we like to put on Christmas music at work. She always chooses this song called Christmas Shoes. I could give you a hundred illustrations of this, but I'll give you this one. She picks this song called The Christmas Shoes, and it's this tearjerker song. This guy, he goes in the market. It's Christmas Eve. He's late buying his Christmas gift. Some of you know it. And he's going to go in. He's gonna, he sees the little boy, and the boy's buying shoes because his mom's been sick. You know the whole story's made up, by the way. That's why I don't, you can't get me to cry about that. But the little boy is going to buy the shoes in case his mom meets Jesus that night. And so he's standing at the register, and the boy puts the money down, and he doesn't. The cashier says, son, there's not enough here. And so what's the guy do? He puts the money down. He says in the song, he just had to help him out. And then the line he put in the song is this. He says, I think that God sent that little boy to remind me what Christmas is all about. Yesterday I was on Facebook. Somebody tagged me in something they thought would be nice for our church to do that another church had done. A church had asked their members what did Christmas mean to them. And their members stood one by one in front of a camera and said, Christmas means family. Christmas is a time to reconcile. Christmas, mean, Christmas means love. I, this was a church. That's bad doctrine. And that is why we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to talk about how Christmas is actually his story. And we're going to go all the way back. We're going to start way back with his story. And that's where you're going to pick up with me in John chapter 1 and verse 1. So grab a Bible, turn to John chapter 1 and verse 1. Say amen if you have it. Amen. Look at it with me. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him about his word. Heavenly Father, we turn to you and we ask you in the name of your son Jesus to reveal your word to us. Father, I pray that you would, I pray that you would block us from any clever words. I pray that you'd block us from any distractions. Lord, in this moment, we ask that we could hear from you from your word. We petition you, God, that you would speak to us, that you would speak to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. Lord, you say in the Gospel of Luke, you promise us, you say that if we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will you give us the Holy Spirit if we ask? God, I'm asking you right now that you'd fill this place with your Holy Spirit and that we would hear from your word. I ask you, God, that we would understand what you have for us. And I pray, Father, that we would not leave the same as we came in. But God, I pray that we would leave changed for you. Father, I pray that we would leave on fire for you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, in the beginning was the Word. Now, first of all, you understand, I think a lot of people, we could look at that and you would say, okay, well, then Christ goes all the way back to creation. But actually, we go further than creation with that one line, don't we? Look at the line. In the beginning was the Word. Already existent in the beginning, pre-existent before what you and I understand as time, Christ is existent. For those of you who might be new to the Word, you understand that here, when he says, in the beginning was the Word, that's John, the Gospel writer, that's his way of saying Jesus. He says he'll call Jesus, or the Christ, he will name him the Word. He's the only Gospel writer that does that. And so when he says, in the beginning was the Word, he's talking about the person of Christ. Jesus Christ was in the beginning, already. In the beginning was the Word, already existent. And I would take it even further and say, not only was Christ existent in the beginning, he's always been. Look in your Bibles to, to, the, uh, to the book of Revelation. In chapter 22 and verse 13. Look at Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13. This is a hard concept for us to grasp because you and I, we live in this linear scape. We understand things that have a beginning and an end. And as a matter of fact, the older you get, the more beginnings and ends you see. Whether it be life itself, marriages, homes, businesses, the whole world for that matter has a beginning and an end. We see things that start and we see things that end. And our own lives have a start and they have an end. And so when we come to this concept of Christ being before that, being outside of that, it's hard for us to grasp. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13, Jesus said these words, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is completely eternal. Christ has always and ever will be 
He's always been, and he will always be. He is everlasting. He's alpha. He's omega. He's beginning. He's end. He has always been. Now, we can't fully understand being outside of time, but I'm going to try to give you a little bit of an illustration. One time, I was going up to Oldham County Day with my kids. And I had, I had Jenny was little, Elijah was barely two or three years old, and, and Jeremiah was still in a stroller. And so I had the wise idea of getting a little red wagon, and I put, Jeremiah, or excuse me, I put Elijah and Jennifer into the little red wagon, and I began to tug them up to uh, Oldham County Day, you know, like the little red flyer wagon, and I'm tugging them behind me. And Elijah says, Daddy, get in the wagon. And I said, Elijah, I can't, I can't get in the wagon. I'm too big. He said, you're not too big. Get in the wagon. Elijah, I can't get in the wagon. I'm too big to get in the wagon. And he said, why can't you get in the wagon? And I just, off the top of my head, I said, because if I get in the wagon, then who's going to tug it? And he sat there for a moment. You could, see his little, you could see his little wheels spinning. When we look at God in the reference of time, we're like a little kid trying to put, God, trying to put dad into the wagon. God is outside of, I can't get it, I can't grasp it. You can't truly grasp it. If you think that you can, you can't. Christ is outside of time. Time means nothing to him. He's not confined by time. As a matter of fact, it goes even further to understand that Christ is not just outside of time, but he's actually the one holding time together. He's the one who created time, and he's the one who holds time together. He is totally outside of it. If Christ was inside of time, like we are, we're on this kind of linear, this linear map, and just every brief little millisecond, here we are, and it comes and it goes, and it comes and it goes, and you never can get what's before, and you have no idea what's coming, but Christ is totally outside of that. Look in your Bibles again. Look over at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. And let's start at verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Do you have it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Read this. Just as He chose us in Him. Are you ready for this? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I want to read this next one just because I'm not scared of these words. Some Baptists, are, they, they, they cave to these words. Look at this. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory, uh, of, the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Did you read what I just read? That Christ has chosen us before, are you ready for that? Before the foundations of the world, before the world ever was. God knew that he would not only create the world, he knew that the world would sin against him. And he knew he had to save us. And so before the foundations of the world, God had already chosen, he had already picked to save us. Do not flip that around. You don't get to flip that around and say that that means he didn't choose other people, that he chose you and that he didn't choose other people. That's not what he says. He says that he predestined us to what? To be adopted. That's as opposed, could you imagine if God in his foreknowledge created the world and then left it 
That's what some of the agnostics think. They think that, that, that God, if there is a God, that he's too far away, that if he created the world or had a hand in creating the world, that he created it and left it. But no, God did not create the world and leave it. And, and leave it. He didn't create it and, and leave it be. No, God created the world and he knew that he would have to come into the world, enter into the world, so that you and I could be adopted as sons and daughters. He knew that he would have to reconcile us before he ever even created us. He is totally outside of time. Look at this. In the beginning was the Word. I'm back in John chapter 1, and I'm in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. He's already existent. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is already there. Christ is already existent. He is not only existent, but he is present with God. And I love what John did because he put both. When I was a teenager, I remember reading that and being so confused. I would think, why does he say the same thing twice? But he doesn't say the same thing twice. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right there in John, in the beginning, instead of giving us a manger scene, John takes us further than that, and he reminds us that in the beginning, in time past, before we can understand, Christ was already existent, with the Father. Now, I want everybody to hear this. John right now is already picturing for us the Trinity. A true picture of the Trinity. That God is in three persons, and yet those three persons are one. John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was where? With God. And the Word was what? God. The Word is with God, and He is God at the same time. Now, we like to imagine that somehow that's hard to understand. And I, I fluctuate with this because the honest truth is we understand things that are in kind of triune or trinities all the time. If I was to, if I was to talk about our very existence, the things that are around us, we understand them in, in a trinity, kind of a trinity. What you have around you is space, time, and matter. Everything that's, that's around us could be could be summed into space, time, and matter. If you, had, if, if, all, if you had no matter, you had space, what would you put in it? If you had only matter, where would you put it? You understand? You have space, time, and matter. And even in those, all those are, they're kind of a trinity of trinities. Space is space, not length, breadth, and height. And we understand that. Is matter not protons and neutrons and electrons? And we don't have any trouble understanding that. Uh, do we not understand? Time is made up of past, present, future. And we understand that. Well, for some reason, when it comes to God, we want to look at him as if he's one plus one plus one, but that's not God. If you wanted to put him into a mathematical equation, he's one times one times one. He's three persons, one God. And Jesus was already existent with God in the beginning. He is God and he was with God at the same time. And you say, how is that possible? This Mormon boy stopped by my house one time. I'm putting up Christmas decorations. I love, by the way, I, just so you all know, I have this little thing that I like to do. When the Mormons come to me, or if I see them and I have time, I like to hold them for as long as possible with questions. I don't ever tell them I'm a pastor. I just question them and keep questioning. I play dumb and try to stump them a little bit. But I'm really, my whole goal is this. I, I've, I've, never had any, any, I've, I've never had any fruit in converting a, a, a Mormon to Christianity. Half the time they think they're Christians anyways. But I can tell you what I know for sure that I do. I keep them from knocking on other people's doors and telling them. So I'm out putting up Christmas lights, and I'm hanging the lights, and here they come down the street, and they holler at me. I'm up on the roof, and they, this one boy hollered at me, and he said, Have you heard the good news? And I said, Tell me. And he said, 
our Christ has come. And I said, that is wonderful news. And so I came off the roof. And I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, who made Christ? And without hesitation, that Mormon boy said to me, Heavenly Father did. Mm. Look at this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 2 says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Christ was not created by God. Every Mormon I've ever spoke with, I always bring that question up because they believe that Christ was created by God. But that's not true. Christ was not created by God because he is one with God. And so ever existent with God, Christ literally creates everything. The Bible says here, John said that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was, God, was with God, the Word was God. Everything, all things, that's a, a Greek word. The Greek word there is panta. It literally means all things separate and all things individually. That's what it means. If you translate it, all things separately and all things individually. All things. If you think of the vastness of our space, we have this outer space that's around us. The vastness of that space is, is greater than we can really understand. We had to come up with a unit of measurement that we could try to understand the, dif the distance in outer space. So we came up with this unit of measurement called a light year. You ever heard of light year? That's not, a, that's not time, that's a distance. A light year is a, is a measure of distance. And we can't really fathom how great of a distance a light year is. So we have to, if we break it down to a second, if you take a light year, which is the amount of, uh, of distance that, a light, that light could travel in one year. Okay, that's what a light year is. How far could light travel in one year? That's a light year. Too great for our minds to understand. So if we break it down to a second, a beam of light can travel in one second, 186,243 miles in one second. To put that in perspective of our globe, that means that a, a beam of light could travel around our entire earth seven and a half times in one second. It takes, from the time it takes for light to get from the sun to us, this is how, gra how grand even just our own, our own galaxy is. From the sun to us, it takes eight minutes for the light to travel. Now, light can travel in one second around the earth seven and a half times, but to get from the sun to us takes eight minutes for light to travel that distance. There are stars, we know of a star, that the, the next star out, we know of a star called Antares. Antares is so big of a star that you could take 46 million of our suns and put it into Antares. And that's nothing compared to a star called Hercules. That you could, if you were to hollow out Hercules, you could take 100 million Antares and put it into the star Hercules. And I'm telling you that Christ created all of it. Not only all things separately, but all things individually. He created all things, from the grandest down to the smallest. The smallest thing that we can measure here on this earth, the things that make up what we can touch and feel and see, the matter that we see, we call them atoms. If you were to break an atom down to its measurement, it's 155 millionths of an inch. Now, I want you to do this. Everybody going to play along because I don't want you to go to sleep yet. I know I'm giving you some science class, but I don't want you to go to sleep. Put your hand up. Can you do that? Just put your hand up. Just do it with me. I know some of you don't want to play along. Put your hand up. Imagine a drop of water in your hand. 
a drop of water. Got it? Picture it in your, in your mind. One little drop of water. The billions upon billions of atoms that make up that drop of water. If you were to take the atoms that make up that drop of water in your hand, you got it pictured? If you were to expand them to the size of a grain of sand, the atoms that are in the drop of water, make them as big, make each atom as big as a, drop, a, a grain of sand. You got it in your head? You would have enough sand to make a highway eight miles wide, 12 inches thick, from New York all the way to San Francisco. That's how many atoms are in a drop of water. And Christ created all of them. Are you ready for this? He created you and predestined us to be adopted as his sons and his daughters. You see, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things, all things, panta, that's the Greek word, all things separately and individually, all things from the biggest to the smallest. He has created them. He was not created. I agree with the statement that Christ was not created, but he's begotten. He was not born in a manger. He's not created in a manger. He's always been. He's ever existent. And the God who was ever existent and made absolutely everything knew you. And even more than that, I want to read this next line. We're back in John chapter 1. Look at this with me. John chapter 1, and in verse 3, he says, All things were made by him, made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. Now, you could say that, obviously, in creation, he made life, and that is true. Our Lord did not make a, uh, a stale universe. He made a living universe. Everything's not just geological, it's not just rocks and formations and pretty things to look at, but our Lord made the living things. He made plants that are living, and even more than that, He made the beast of the field, and He breathed life into them, and then even more than that, He made us the highest of His created order, a little lower than the angels, but highest here on the earth. And what did He make us? He made us in His own image, and He put life in us. But what did we do? In him is life. So not only holding time together, he's holding life itself together. Truthfully speaking, actually, if you, if you really get down to it, the, Jesus even talked about the way we should love others. He, he referenced the fact that God lets, it, lets the sun shine on the just and the good. He lets the rain to fall on, on, on the righteous and on the unrighteous. He's holding all of life together. In him is life. But what did we do? Remember Adam in the garden? What did Adam do each day? In the evening, he would get up and he would walk with the Lord in the cool of the evening. And what did man do? We sinned. As a matter of fact, the Bible says clearly that Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. And even worse, I want to get even more, I want to get even more personal, not just mankind, but you. I literally mean you, me. You ready for this one? This one's going to be a punch to the gut, but it's true. We choose sin. Like we, we like to talk about, we like to talk about like when we're in Bible studies, we get to those Greek words and we, and we talk about how sin can mean like trespass or to miss the mark. And I think that's kind of sometimes that's the fluffy way to think about sin. Like I, I was shooting for the right thing, but I missed it. But really the truth is this, how many times do we not just missed the mark, but how many times did we aim for the sinful? How many times did we think about it before we did it, knew what we were doing, and did it anyways? 
that we went there or clicked on it or looked at or did the very thing that we knew we weren't supposed to do. Now, do you understand? See, we can look at Adam and we can say of Adam, we can say, well, he sinned and he imputed sin to us. That is very true, but the honest truth is you do the same. You choose sin. And when you put it in that perspective that in him is life, but sometimes we don't choose life, we choose death. And we don't say it that way when we do it, when we say the things we shouldn't say or go the places we shouldn't go or look at the things we shouldn't look at. We don't like to say we're choosing death, but isn't that exactly what we're doing? It's choosing death over life. You see, what we've done in our lives is created this path of sin. It started with Adam, but it continues with us. We're not, we're not innocent. You don't get to one day say, well, I was sinful because the first Adam was sinful. No, you're sinful because you're sinful. If you took Adam out of the equation and you were the one in the garden, don't you know you'd have done the same thing? In him is life. Are you ready for this? It's not in you. That's hard for us to understand, too, because we understand, just like time, we understand beginnings and ends, so to think that Christ is outside of time is hard for us to understand. It's also hard for us to understand this concept. You look at your hands, you look at your, you have breath, you have thought, you think, I do have life, I am living, but the Bible says that's not true. Your body might be physically alive on this earth, but you are headed for death. You are headed for death. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that outside of Christ... You are already dead. You are already dead. You see, in the physical world, you can look and say, no, no, look, I'm alive. And that's what the scientists today want you to do. They want you to look around and say, well, I can only believe in the things that I can touch and feel and test. But God's not just dealing with the things that you can touch and feel and test. God is not. He's outside of time and he is dealing with eternity and we won't turn to it because you know it, but just a few chapters from what we read right now this morning, don't you know that God says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Eternal life. Life that doesn't end. In Him is life, not in you. One time we had this basketball goal, and it, would, it was like one of those movable basketball goals. We got it for the kids for Christmas, and... Elijah just loved his basketball. He loved playing basketball. He loved to watch basketball. So we had this basketball goal. It was out in the yard, and it would blow over. Every, every morning, it seemed like I was going out. I was picking up that stupid basketball goal. So I tried to get, like, bags of sand and put bags of sand on the back of it. It still blew over. I put, I put like, cinder blocks on the back of it. It still blew over. So finally, I said, forget it. I'm just going to leave it down until we go out to play basketball. So I just took the basketball goal. I laid it on its side. I'm going to leave it on its side so it quit blowing over and landing on the cars. So Elijah came to me and he said, Dad, can, can I go play basketball? And I said, well, I'll have to move the goal. If you'll give me a minute, I'll, I'll, I'll get done with this and I'll come set the goal up for you. He said, no, 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 I'll set the goal up. I'll do it. All right, go for it. Have fun. I went and stood at the window and watched. And he walked outside and he grabbed that basketball going. I don't think he moved it an inch. Maybe wiggled it a little. He stood over top of the bar and he grabbed it and he pulled as hard as he could pull and he couldn't stand. He tried to get up the, under the backboard. He squatted down. He tried to stand up and press it. He couldn't move it. He came in the house with his, hung, with his head hung low, and he said this. He said, I guess I don't get to play basketball. And I looked at him and said, I didn't say you can't play basketball. I said, wait a minute, and I'll go out and get the goal for you. So I finished up doing what I was doing, and I went up, and I set the goal up for him, and we played a game of basketball. Do you understand? Listen, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get a point across here. God didn't say that you have to remain in death. He said, in him is life. 
If you want the life, if you want eternal life, it's in Him. You have to wait on Him. You can't do it yourself. There's nothing you can do. You're like a kid trying to pick up the basketball goal. You can't get it up. There's nothing you can do on your own. You need Him. In Him is life. And that's what He means next when He says this. We're in 1 John chapter 1. And look, in Him was life. It's verse 4. And the life was the light of men. The life that he offers is the light of men. Now, what does light do? I want you to think about this very logically for a moment, because that's what John was doing. He's got these really deep statements in this very few verses, very few words. He says, he's the life, and in, in him is life, and that life is the light of men. Now, what does light do? Think about it very logically. What does light do? It, it illuminates. It gets rid of the darkness. If there is darkness, I want you to think about this, light gets rid of it. Let's think about it like this. Let me, let me put it in a different way. If you're, if you're in a, a, a really, it's getting dark at 6 o'clock now, 5.30 in the afternoon. If it's getting dark and you turn on the light, if it gets darker, like as, as it turns 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock and gets darker, does the light, does the light go more dim? Actually, it's even more the opposite, isn't it? The darker it gets around it, the brighter the light looks. Think of it this way. You cannot put enough darkness over top of a light to cover the light. Dark, there's no amount of darkness. Go down into the deepest part of a cave. I went in Mammoth Cave one time and they turned out all the lights. We got in this deep part of the cave and they just turned out all the lights. So it, was, it was darker. I'd never seen anything that dark. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Nothing. It was totally pitch dark. And then they turned on this little LED. This little, I mean, it was like a little tiny, like one of those flashlights that you press the little button and it's on a keychain type of LED light. And the whole room looked like it was illuminated. You could see everybody because it had been so dark. There is no amount of darkness that can cover the light. Light expels darkness. Get this. In Christ is life. And that life is the light of men. There is nothing that you and I can do. There is not a sin that we can do that would cover up the life that is in him. There is not, I want you to hear that again. There is not one sin that you or I can do that Christ can say, I can't forgive that. It's too, it's too dark. It's too unrighteous. I can't give him life because it's too unrighteous. No, in him is life. And I don't care who you are or where you've been. If you accept him, he'll give you life. And that's what he's saying. I'm going to finish it up. Look what he says here. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Here's the worst part. It brings us, it brings us all the way back to where we started this sermon when it comes to Christmas. The light shines in the darkness. Jesus was born... Our God, who created us, was born unto us. He was given to us. And we have an opportunity at Christmas time. I want you to hear this. We have an opportunity at Christmas time to show everybody about Christ, to tell the story that is His. There's this old lady that I knew. She hated Christmas. I don't care what she said. She would tell, I would say that to her and say, I know you hate Christmas. And she'd say, I don't hate Christmas. Yes, she did. She gave me a book. i show you the book. It's down in my office. The book says, in the book, it says that everything, I don't care if it's a wreath, the 25th, Santa Claus, presents, wrapping. In the book, it literally has some quote from Jeremiah about, like, making idols 
and it shows like these little kids wrapping gifts, and then it says like bowing to the idols, and it shows them putting the gifts under the tree like they're bowing to the tree. I am not making this stuff up. I promise I really have the book. Everything about Christmas, it's all pagan, it's all, it's all sacrilegious. And I used to argue with her and say, no, that's not true. That's not true. If you, you could find anything and say that, that it's pagan. She would say to me, she would say, well, don't you know Christmas trees are from pagan origins? I say, no, they're not. You, can't, you cannot find me. Just listen, I know I'm off on a rabbit trail for a minute, but stick with me on this. You can't find for me a pagan religion that, that would cut down a tree and bring it into their house and decorate it. They didn't do that. They worshiped the trees outside in the, in the field. They would never cut them down. I'm right about that. It's not, that's not pagan origins. No, the Christmas tree itself has Christian origins, not pagan origins. And even more than that, this is what I used to tell her. I would say, listen, I want you to hear this one. You've got to hear this. I said to her, I said, listen, there's this courthouse. I don't remember which one it was, but there was some courthouse, had a manger scene. I said, the ACLU wants them to take the manger scene off of the courthouse. She shook her head and she said, oh, no. And she started talking bad about the ACLU. And I told her, I said, when you, when you want to fight against Christmas decorations and call them pagan and you want to fight against the date and everything else, aren't you agreeing with the ACLU? I mean, shouldn't you be happy that they take the, that they take the manger scene down? Think about that for a moment. That's why I told her. I said, listen, you have an opportunity at Christmas time. What are we dealing with? The birth of Christ. Our God, who is preexistent, came to this earth so that he could reconcile us to God. And we have an opportunity to share that with people. Has it become commercialized? Sure it has. Because we've lost the doctrine of what it truly means at Christmas time. That Christ came to us. There was this, uh, there was this handicapped guy. I, he, I, I, I was a youth minister at a church. This guy was physically, mentally handicapped. And he came to the church. And he loved Christmas lights. His name was Scott. Scott loved Christmas lights. So much so that Scott came to us and said, would you see if anybody in the church has Christmas light strands that are, that are going out and I'll fix them. And he lived in the assisted living home across the street from the church. And sometimes I'd go and pick him up or walk him across the street. And I'd go in his room for a minute. And so I, I went across the street one day and he's got all these lights strung, all these Christmas lights strung across his living room and dining table. And he had these little kits that he could probe the lights to see which ones were out, and, and he would spend his day, he would spend his day fixing these Christmas light strands, and he would go through and find the bulb that was out, and, and he would put new bulbs in, or new fuses, or whatever, and he would fix the Christmas lights. And I said to him one day, I went over, and all the lights were, str were strung out, and I said, Scott, why do you love Christmas lights so much? And in his own Scott voice, which I won't try to mimic, but, but I'll never forget when he said this to me, he said, because those lights represent Christ, and maybe somebody would see them and think about him. Listen, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness didn't comprehend it. We, we, we're not in darkness. We're sons of the light. We have an opportunity when it comes to Christmas to tell everyone else about our Savior who came to us so that we could be saved. And that is exactly what we want to do. And so for the next four weeks or three weeks more, we're going to continue with the same sermon idea. We're going to go through history, and we're going to go through biblical history, and we're going to see the advent of Christ through biblical history. I want everybody to stand up on your feet, and let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close today.